Good morning, New Life. Um, so that video was the bumper video for the very first series that I ever preached back in the youth group. And so a lot of you probably could not read that because it wasn't that great. But it proves a point in my message, and it, it, I'll tie it back in later. But in between those words, the video that was playing was part of the passion. It was Jesus on the cross. Um, the letter should have been much bigger. It was, it was my first shot at this. But it's a passion that I wanted to talk about this morning. And I kind of wanted it to be almost like bookends to my time here. And not that I'm leaving today and that it's not my last day, but as far as series go, I felt like this message is something that's been on my heart for over five years now. And so we've called our student ministry Hodos um, Student Ministries since I, I got here. And uh, it, it's hit me over the years that not everybody actually knows what that means. It's a weird word. It's a Greek word. Um, and because we speak English or sometimes American because that's different. Um, we don't speak Greek. And uh, so this morning, what I wanted to do, and as I've kind of prepared and, 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 and really gone through it this morning, it's kind of made me a little emotional. Um, but I wanted to share the passion and the heart behind why we've been Hodo Student Ministries for the last four years. And the, the bumper video there kind of illustrates that in a way, if you were able to hear and kind of pick up, it's, it's about being the church. It's about getting back to the heart of what the very first believers were all about. Um, and that's where it started for me. The, the, the Hodos um, concept really hit me before I ever was called into student ministry. About five years ago, um, I called Franklin up. Franklin. Um, I said, hey man, I feel God calling me into ministry. I need somebody to play music with me. And he said, cool, we'll get a little thing together. We'll go and we'll, we'll do some little engagements. We'll go travel, we'll go speak. And so me and Franklin and Olivia, we'd sing, we'd preach, and I'd do my best to present the gospel. And, and it started to kind of build itself into this little, small, evangelical little thing um, that we had going on. I was excited. I was ready to go. I was ready to, to go do what Jesus had called me to do. And I was getting some opportunities to speak. And it was, it was fun. Um, I was helping out over at Buck Creek, um, doing some, some stuff with the youth ministry. And, and some people had, you know, asked me if I'd be interested in ministry. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not interested in ministry. I don't want to actually go be on staff somewhere. I, I feel called to evangelism. I feel like God's going to call me to go and travel and speak. And then 2016 comes, and I'm helping out with Jerusalem Project. And little did I know that my mentor Tommy and Scott had been conspiring behind the scenes a little bit. And had already had some conversations. And so what I thought I was walking into was a week of serving Jesus um, on a JP crew. What turned out to be a week-long interview with Bill Harris. Um, it was a nerve-wracking week of my life because the very first day he looks at me and said, you ever thought about being a youth pastor? I said, mm, I don't know about that. And he goes, I think you should think about it. And that week progressed and I, he asked me a bunch of questions and I came to find out that it was an interview. And I broke so many of his tools. Um, it, was, it was bad. I'm going, this guy, never going to think twice. He's never going to think about me. He's going to go, if he can build a ramp, or if he builds ramps like he does ministry, well, then he should never step foot in a church. But luckily, God's hand was on me. And you know, had another interview with him, heard my testimony, heard my call to ministry, and he decided that that was the steps that we needed to make. And so 
You know, me and me and wife prayed heavily about it, and we we just follow as God leads. And so I get to New Life, and and the student ministry here is Right Turn Ministries, and I'm kind of fond of that name because some of you may not know, but Scott was actually my youth pastor growing up, and so I myself was a Right Turn Ministries kid um, back when Scott himself was just a kid, um, early twenties, right, Scott? Fresh out of fresh out of college, and though I like the name, did not like the T-shirts. Never been shy about that. They were awful. I stepped up the game here. My youth ministry will, will agree. Um, <clears throat> I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision. Do I stick with the Right Turn brand, which was awesome. It, it did some amazing stuff, changed a lot of kids' lives. Not the brand, but what God did through Scott. But did I want to make it my own or did I want to leave that? And, and so I prayed and, and I asked God and God said, you know what? This is what I want you to do. I want you to go in and take that passion, take that philosophy that I've given you for evangelism and implement it into the student ministry. So while Right Turn was a great, great ministry, I felt God stirring in me to create something of my own, something that he'd really placed a, a passion on my heart about. And so we branded the youth group Hodos Student Ministries. And the heart behind that comes from the book of Acts. Um, in Acts uh, chapter 9, verse 2. Um, and I'll just give you a snippet. That's not where we're going to be today. I psyched you out. Um, but uh, Paul, or Saul at the time is, is persecuting the church. He's persecuting the church. And, and it says in, in Acts chapter 9 that he asks for, for letters, for permission to persecute and go, go take anybody that belonged to the way. Belonged to the way. And as I did research back in the day, it, it, what, what I found out is that the first Christians were not called Christians. They're not called Christians until they end up in Antioch much later in the, uh, the book of Acts. They're, they were called people of the way. People of the way. We see that in Acts um, chapter 9 there. And, and that really hit me because I believe the word Christianity or Christian has become a lot like the word love. I love my wife, but I also love tacos. It's not the same. In the American church, you can say that you're a Christian, but you can go live like hell Monday through Saturday. It's just a brand. It's just a title. And so my heart and my passion was, we've got to get back to the, the root of what we're called to be. We've got to get back to the root of, of what we've been, been, been com commanded to be. So break away from the term Christianity for just a second. And I wanted to be people of the way. I wanted, these student or I wanted the students to become men and women of the way, that they were, they were living a life that was so deeply connected to what Christ did in his life that people would go, they're different. They're different. They're doing life differently. And, and, and that was the heartbeat behind it. And so what hodos means is the Greek word for way. Um, and some people, it, there's an argument about how you pronounce the O's in the Greek. It's either hadas or it's hodos. I choose to say hodos because it's easier for me to say. Um, that's more the, the modern translation of it. But it means the way. And we find it there in Acts um, chapter 9 verse 2. But the, the biggest place that we find it is actually in John 14. And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 14. The tail end of, of chapter 13 going into uh, chapter 14. This morning, what I want to do is express to you guys and try to show you 
the same passion that I've tried to instill in the student ministry for four years this October is what I want to leave you guys with this morning. I want you to understand who we were and who God has called us to be. So I'm going to pray and then we'll jump right into this message. Father, you gave me this passion five years ago. And it's been one that's grown and evolved into many different things. It's it started with evangelism, then youth ministry, then discipleship. And it's all been discipleship the whole time. And just like that bumper video was the start of my you know, technical understanding, when you called me here, it was the beginning of my ministry understanding. And even then, I didn't know fully what this Hodos concept was, was going to mean to me throughout the years how it was going to change me, how it was going to work me over, and how it was going to build into something that I never would have dreamed it to be. God, and this morning I pray that for just this next 30, 40 minutes, God, that you would allow me to articulate that passion and that, that understanding of what a true Christian is supposed to be to the people in this room. God, that there would be conviction, there would be encouragement, there would be a new understanding of our call. God, and that you would shake these people to the core. And if there's anyone here that has just been playing the game, if there's anyone here that needs to come from, from death to life, just like you've already done this morning, which, oh my gosh, praise you for that. God, if there's anyone else, and I know there are, that needs to come from from death to life, to, to know this way that gives hope and gives direction. I pray that that would happen in this place. So Father, be with me, speak through me. You've got to move in your people. Amen. So, I believe that we see the, the, the first church, they're called the people of the way um, in Acts, but I, I really, in my opinion, believe that that, that concept gets its roots in, in John 14. Um, and so we're going to start <clears throat> in verse uh, 31 of, of chapter 13 and kind of read through just a little bit of 14. And just a little backstory. Jesus is getting to the end of his, his, his ministry life. He's just washed the disciples' feet. And it's this night that he's going to be arrested. He's going to be betrayed by Judas. And um, he's going to go and kind of start the, 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 well, the uphill climb to the cross, and, and he's, he's kind of foretelling a little bit of that in the end of chapter 13. In 31, it says this, <clears throat> when he had gone out, talking about Judas, <clears throat> Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said to him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Then he goes into 14. This is, but let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. So you've got Jesus in the upper room and he's, he's washing his disciples' feet and then he starts to tell them, look, I'm, I'm leaving you guys. I'm breaking away. I'm, I'm about to, to go somewhere that you can't follow me. And their whole lives up to this point, or the last three years of their lives have been following after Jesus. This was their whole world. They'd left their business. They'd left everything that they, they knew and they loved. And so the person that they're following after, their, their mentor, their, their, their teacher, their rabbi, is about to just be gone. And he's not going to go somewhere that they could follow with him. He's, he's just going to be gone, gone. And so they're freaking out. You know, Peter's like, what do you mean I can't go with you? I'd go with you anywhere. If it's somewhere bad, you know, I'll lay down my life for you. And then Jesus says, no, you won't. It's going to be okay, but no, you won't. You'll come back afterwards. Everything will be great. But you won't lay down your life for me because you're about to deny me three times. And then sensing the room, I I love that Jesus starts out in 14. It says, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. He sees and he has compassion on the people that, are, that he's loved, that, that he calls friends uh, just a few chapters later. He sees them and he is, he's broken by them and he has compassion on them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Because yes, I'm leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to do something. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring you back to me. We're going to be reunited at, at some point. And a lot of this symbolism here is, is about the Jewish wedding custom that the groom would go and he would prepare a house and then he would come back and get the bride. And so there's a lot of good symbolism in there and there's so much that I could talk about in that section, but that's not where I want to land this morning. Um, and he says, you know, I, I go to prepare that place and I'm going to bring you to myself. And then he drops this on him. He said, and also, you guys know the way. You know how to get there. And Thomas, I love Thomas. He's one of my favorites because... Uh, he reminds me a lot of myself. I've got a lot of doubts. Sometimes I fear. Sometimes I, I don't want to do it. And then Jesus always shows up for me in the same way. He's like, all right, here I am. Uh, if you don't believe, put your holes in my hand. Or put, my, put your hands in my fingers in your hole. Like, see it. See it. It's real. And then he's, that was a horrible, I apologize for that. Tongue tied. That one wasn't in my notes. That was off the cuff. So um, and he eats with him. He proves himself to Thomas. But Thomas is kind of this, this rogue guy because earlier in the story, Thomas, they, they're going in Jerusalem and everybody else is freaking out and Thomas kind of looks at the group and says, well, if he goes to die, we go to die. Like he's like this big epic guy and then he's the one that doubts at the end. So I love Thomas, he's a great character. And he has kind of a freak out moment here. Um, it says, Lord, we have no idea where you're going. How can we even know the way? You say you're going to this place and we can't follow you, but we also know the way. And so he's kind of having this little moment. And then Jesus in his loving way, says, hold up. It's me that's the way. It's me that's the truth. It's me that's the life. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you do know me and you have seen him. So in this scripture, Jesus is giving the answer to Thomas's question. He's showing him the way. And that's, that's really where I want to sit this morning. Because Jesus' response is, is crucial 
for us. It's crucial for our hope. It's crucial for our command. It's crucial for how we're supposed to do everything in this life. And so the very first thing is he says, he's talking about they don't know the way, Thomas doesn't know the way, and he says, I am the way. And that's a weird statement because Jesus is not a road. He's not a pathway to walk. Jesus didn't give them a self-help book and show them, you know, seven easy steps to get to heaven. It wasn't one of those things. He said, me as a person, I'm the way. And so as I I wrestled with this years ago, that's a weird answer, but as you kind of pull back and you really dig into it, it, it makes a lot of sense. He's saying, you have to understand that I am the only way to get back to me, which is a weird sentence in itself, but if you want to get back to me, if you want to have this future, this hope with me where everything is restored, where you're living in, in, in what he's talking about in his father's house, then you've got to have me. I'm the only way to salvation. And he's saying also that his way is the only way to follow. You see, Jesus left us uh, an example that we can follow and we can live by. You know, there's a lot of arguments that people will look at Jesus' life and go, I can't live that way. He was God, and so we lessen the standard on our lives. But I don't believe that to be true. Yes, Jesus did some crazy stuff, and I'm not going to be able to go and, and open the eyes of the blind because that was specifically him, but he led a lifestyle that we're commanded to follow. He led a lifestyle full of disciplines and full of action and he had a game plan and a passion and he's saying if you want to find me you've got to come up right under me and walk in the same path that I walked and that I am walking you have to continue to follow after my teachings you have to continue to to remember all the things that I've said and do as I do you have to mimic me in every way you want to follow me well you have to continue to follow me even as you see me leave and I think that's a crucial, crucial point because where was Jesus going? Cross. Jesus' destination very, very quickly was about to be death. And Jesus says, I am the way. He was heading to the cross. He's about to lay down his own life. And that may seem radical, like I've got to go follow him to crucifixion. Well, Jesus says this several other places in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. It says this, then Jesus told his disciple, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So what he's saying here is is the cost of discipleship. The cost of following after Jesus is denying everything that you are. And even if it means death, you follow. Jesus will tell Peter at the end of this book, and uh, the, the tail end of John, he tells him how he's going to die. He says, you are going to be dragged away by people that are, are, aren't going to listen to you. They're going to drag you against your will and they're going to do something to you that's going to be awful. And this is big alluding to him being crucified. And then right after he says that, after he predicts how Peter's going to die, the next words he says is, follow me. You see, the cost of following Jesus, the cost of making it on the way that Jesus has given us is Death. And it may not be crucifixion. I really hope it's not crucifixion for me. But no matter what he calls us to, we follow and we live it the same way that he does. The way back to Jesus is through the life that Jesus led. 
and the death that he died and the resurrection that he rose. That's what we want, right? As Christians, we want to die. Well, you we don't want to die, but we're going to. And then we want to raise and be reunited with him, right? That's the exact path that Jesus is about to take. So when he tells them, I'm the way, he says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to follow me all the way through. And if you're not willing to follow me all the way through, are you really following me? So that's huge. That is, that, is, that is massive there that he says, I am the way. And that's the way back to heaven. Then he, he says this as well. As, and I think this threefold answer is super important because Jesus is combining all these things to, to kind of show the disciples what they're going to have to do. And he says, and I'm the truth. So Jesus' word is all truth and there is no lie in him. Uh, Titus one two says that God cannot lie. So what that means is everything that Jesus has said, everything that God has said, is 100% absolutely the truth. There is no lie. It is absolute. And this world doesn't like to believe in absolute truths. We've got my truth, your truth, his truth, her truth. But there's only one truth. This is a chair. We're standing on wood. We're in a building. Those are truths. And everything that comes out of the word of Jesus is the same truth. And so for us, what I believe Jesus is, is saying here for, for the disciples and for us now is, is we cannot follow the way unless we know the truth in what God has said. If you want to really follow after Jesus and you know his way, then you've got to be in the word. For the disciples, they had to remember the words that he said and take them as absolute truth, unwavering truth, and never question them. And so fast forward 2,000 years, if you want to follow Jesus, well, then you better be in this. Because <clears throat> if not, you're walking around with a blindfold doing the best you can and you will trip and fall. The world can say a lot of things, but if you're going to follow after Jesus, you have to take everything in this book as 100% undoctored truth. It's all about following in the way. It's all about following after who he is. We've got to be rooted in his word. And the crazy thing is, and, and I, as, I, as I studied it this time, I really saw the, the paradoxes in it that, you know, Jesus says, follow me. Well, he was about to die. Jesus says, I am the truth. And the thing that's about to happen to him is he's about to be betrayed by a liar. There's going to be Pharisees that strum up people to, to testify against Jesus and they're going to spread lies and they're going to take the things and twist them that he said. They're going to take his words and make them lies. And so Jesus says, I'm the way even though death and I'm the truth even though those around you are going to call me a liar. Judas betrays him. The Pharisees drum up witnesses. And even though Pilate said, dude, this guy's innocent, he went back and forth to a bunch of different courts, they still crucified him because people had twisted what he was saying. So he reassures them, I'm the truth. And then he says that he is the life. He's going to death and, and he's going to die and they're going to be broken, but they're going to get to experience Jesus in the resurrected life. So Jesus gives them this, this commandment to walk in the way, to live in his truth, and then he gives them a hope and a promise. He said, this life is going to be hard. It's going to be awful at points. There's going to be joy. There's going to be passion. There's going to be times that you were just thrilled to death to be here because you're going to be in the presence of other people that believe and you're going to be doing these amazing things. There's going to be joy in this life, but it's also going to be very, very hard and you're going to have to sacrifice. 
And you're gonna have to give up things. You're gonna have to deny yourself. But at the end of this, he gives a promise. He said, but I'm also the life. And that life is the eternal life that you're going to spend in this Edenic pleasure place with him where there is no bad, there is no sad, there is no struggle, there is no sin, there is no sickness. Jesus promises them on the end of this that there will be life, there is a reward at the end of all this if you will be willing to follow me the way that I'm going. He's the life. He's the only way to be raised into that newness of life. He's the only one who can defeat the grave and he's the only hope for us as well. And then once again, he's about to die and they're about to see him resurrected. They're about to see what new life is all about. They're about to see exactly what that looks like. And so for us, you know, I I tried to set the students up in that direction. And I know Scott, I know his heart, he also wants this church to be set up in this direction. The biggest desire that, that we've had is that every person sitting in one of these chairs this morning would understand that there's a way to be walked. There's an example to be followed. And that's not an example to follow on Sundays and on a, a spare Wednesday night once in a while. That is when you wake up on Monday morning, you say, I'm going to follow the way no matter what. You wake up on Monday morning and you say, you know what, I need a little truth for my life today. And you become grounded in that way. You become grounded in the truth and your hope is fixated on the new life that is in front of you. Hebrews says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, reuniting with his father, completing the work, he endured the cross. So what Jesus' mindset was is, I'm gonna look forward to the call that is ahead of me, the the goodness that's coming, the glory that's coming. I'm gonna look past and look over everything in this life and I'm going to fixate myself on this one point. And because that, he endured the cross with joy. For us, we've gotta be the same way. We've gotta fixate the fact that we're not living for this life now. We're just pilgrims, we're exiles, we're aliens on this planet and there is a hope that is set before us and if you can't fixate your eyes on that, then you're going to stray. And you're going to get wrapped up in the things of this world that that are going to pull you away from what God would have you to do. And you're going to end up sitting on the sideline. And you're going to miss out. And you're going to end up missing out on what God has called you to do. Church, this this world right now needs true Christianity. Needs true Christianity. Needs real Christians that really are loving on other people. And hear me. Don't, don't mis, misquote me here. The church doesn't need politicians. Okay? Don't need you screaming on Facebook. Doesn't need you causing division between people that are already in the body. That's American Christian. What he needs you to do is walk in wherever you're going to be tomorrow morning and say, what can I do for Christ here? Because if all you ever do is scream on Facebook, but you don't talk to your neighbor, you are sinning. There's a lot of things that I believe in and are passionate about, but I'm going to do them one-on-one. You're passionate about uh, abortion. Well, go do stuff for the CPC. Go talk to the mom who's considering it. Go talk to the mom who's already done it. You know, they're they're not wasted lives after they've committed a sin. Praise God he doesn't look at us that way. There are people that need hope, need love. 
So before you preach it on Facebook, be about it in your own life. We don't need any more of this American Christianity. We need to get back to being the people of the way. You won't find anything that they wrap their lives in when you look at the people of the way. When you look at the first church, they were about Jesus and that's it. They were in people's lives. They were in people's homes. They were loving on people. They were selling their land to provide for the people's needs. That's real Christianity. That's real people of the way. And that's what I wanted my youth group to be. And that's what my desire for this church is. That even as I go, I can look back and I'm hearing stories of New Life Baptist Fellowship being the people of the way. That this church explodes, not because we've got some young pastor and some good band that that does some stuff and we have all this fluffy that gets people in the doors, but that this church would start to cultivate a group of people that could go out into their communities and be the church. It's not enough to come in here and sit on a pew or chair because we're modern and, and pretend. Jesus said, if you're not willing to follow me all the way, then you're not following me in general. Doesn't work that way. So this morning, as the, as the band comes back up, it's my challenge to you. Hodos has, has been a, a, a very big deal to me over the years. It's something that I've tried to model my life on, to be a person of the way. My prayer for you guys is that that would be what you tried to model yourself after as well. You wouldn't get wrapped up in feel-good sermons and, and messages that, that empower you to go do something that's not really rooted in Scripture. That you would learn to love first. You know, Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, it's no coincidence that these are together. John 13, 35, it says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The church doesn't think any of us are disciples because the church is the place that nobody loves anybody. Well, we do. We shake hands and we're like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Rick. Like, no, you're not. You're broken. You just had a fight with your wife. You're all thinking about getting divorced. You're financially struggling. You watched porn last night. You're not doing okay. It's a lie. We come in, dressed up nice. We pretend to be okay. We walk out the door and our lives are crumbling around us. Real love is talking about those things and getting in people's lives and helping them through it. That's real love. The church is not that place. And so we've lost what that verse is trying to show us to be. So this morning, just ask you where you're at. Have you been somebody that's, that would be considered somebody over the way? Have people known you by your love? Or are you just making noise? So as the band plays, or you guys play, pray that you would let God work in your life and and really show you where you are. Have you really been following? Or are you as a (laughs) Dr. Seuss would put it um, in the waiting place. Um, If you've never read Oh the Places You'll Go there's a whole section about how the waiting place is just where people are just waiting for all these different things. And that's not a very good place to be. Um, You're just waiting to to go and, and do something for Christ? Are you waiting for it to be easy? Are you waiting for it to be comfortable? Are you waiting for it to be politically correct? Are you waiting for it to 
X, you know, whatever. Or this morning, will you dust off the cross that you've had sitting in storage for a while and pick it up and carry it? Father, there's so much to this message and I know at times it might have gotten a little jumbled because there's so much up there. God, but I, I so desperately want there to be a new movement of your work where people would really do the things that you've asked them to do. These are not hypotheticals. These are not suggestions. These are not, man, wouldn't it be cool if? These are real things you've commanded us to do and to be. We're supposed to be a church that's united and we're not. There's seven different denominations on this road. We're divided by race. We're divided by political opinion. We're, we're not unified. We don't love each other. We're not following your way. We're not rooted in your truth. And we are not by any means focused on the new hope that is before us. Because carpet colors don't matter when we're focused on you. Music styles don't matter when we're focused on you. Preference goes out the window when we're focused on you. The only thing that matters is if we're following you and we're rooted in truth. And we're looking ahead, as Paul would say, to the... the the upward prize he runs the race and he's focused on the finish line that he would run the race well I pray that would be this church and though I won't be able to be a part of it for much longer I know that you have a work still left to be done in this place and that there's people in this place that can radically change this world and this church but it's got to start with somebody so Father move convict break hearts. Should never pray. Amen. You stand and move as God calls you.